Hello, it is 9th of December 2017 and this is episode 51 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. I would normally ask if we're okay at this point, but neither of us are okay because it's almost the last Jedi time <laughs> and there's no point pretending anymore. Yeah, it's too exciting. Yeah. So where are you now, Kirsty? What is your headspace? I just can't think of anything else but Star Wars. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, that's so accurate. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's like a hierarchy of relevance and importance right now. And Star Wars is pretty prevalent in that, if I must say. <laughs> it's like, yeah. We're just so close. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you've been waiting two years to see this movie and you know you're going to see it soon. The premiere's tonight, so we know other people are going to see it. Yeah. Um, they had the Japanese premiere where they showed, I think, like 15 minutes. So yeah. we know the stuff is out there now. People have seen it and they're responding to it. And yeah, it's really exciting. Exactly. And it's almost inevitable that by the time this episode is uploaded, there will almost certainly be full spoilers out there for what happens in the film. Yeah, because so, they've said yeah. that people are going to be allowed to start talking about it on social media tonight after the premiere, I think. Um, yeah, those people so, won't be allowed to post spoilers. They'll be explicitly told not to. But because right. that theatre will be filled with thousands of people, this is basically the point at which they lose control. So mm-hmm. they can tell them, please, please, please don't spoil the plot of this film to their heart's content. But one person in that room will. Because they know that because of the large volume of people who are seeing it, they can do that with impunity. As long mm-hmm. as they have some level of common sense about it. As long as they're putting it on like paste bin or using a throwaway account or something. So, yeah. Everything's going to be out. And navigating the internet is going to be hard <laughs> until we see it, basically. I think a lot of people have just decided to not use fandom spaces anymore like they've just yeah. said they're checking out so i think that's probably the most sensible thing to do if you don't want to be spoiled mm. um we will not be discussing spoilers on this show because stuff is getting real yeah um just so you know you're free to listen to it we're not going to spoil anything yeah um, but yeah there's stuff out there yeah exactly we have varying levels of weakness for spoilers <laughs> i like to pretend that i have like a a noble position on spoilers and I'm like no I can be strong if I keep on slipping and I'm like oh I'll just have a peek at this and oh that sounds interesting <laughs> you've been stronger than I have the interesting thing is I, I don't know how you're doing it in such a selective way because I feel like once you go down the rabbit hole it's hard to know where to stop because you don't know what something is until you read it <laughs> but what I'll do is I'll look at something and I'll read a line and I'll be like okay I'm good <laughs> then I'll click out <laughs> Um, because otherwise it just feels way too intense and way too Mm. full on Um, and I can kind of feel myself starting to regret it as I do it if that makes sense so I'm just overwhelmed by this tremendous guilt I'm sure it's very satisfying though to actually read this stuff because it does sound exciting but yeah we're not going to talk about that because that's spoilers so yeah maybe you should talk about your news oh yeah (laughs) I'm going to the European premiere of The Last Jedi (laughs) (laughs) Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh god I, I felt really bad telling you about it Kirsty but well it's kind of that thing where it's incredible and it's really exciting 
but I also feel like such a gloater to an extent. It's like, no, oh my God, it's the I am so thrilled for you. Oh, thank like, you. I not, when you when you sent me that message, I was like, oh my God, like that's mm. so exciting. That is just such an incredible opportunity. Oh, thank you. And I you. can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah, no, I am so, so excited. It's so surreal to think that I'm going to be there. Um, and, and knowing I'm going to be there is part of the reason why my resolve to resist spoilers feels quite strong right now. Because I know it's just a few days. If I can hold out until Tuesday, so that's when the European premiere is, then I'm good. Um, and I think it's going to be such a special experience. And I think it'll be more special if I go in knowing as little as possible. Because mm-hmm. of the nature of who I am and my interests and what I do with my free time. <laughs> There's no way I'm completely unspoiled. I'm already not completely unspoiled. So, yeah, forget that. But there is the reasonable expectation that I can go in not knowing how things develop towards the latter half of the film. And I want to stay that way, if possible, because, yeah, it's already going to be such a great experience and I want to make sure it's the best possible experience of the film. Um, It's kind of awkward because, obviously, the nature of that sort of event means that all of the really good seats, they are just snapped up by Disney. Because, mm-hmm. of course, they're going to put all the stars and all the people who worked on the film and all the journalists, etc., etc., etc. They're all going to go in the nice seats. So I'm way, way, way up in that building. And it's a very big building. And I'm not sure what my view of the screen is going to be like. I have been to the Royal Albert Hall, because that's the venue, and said, I will be able to see it, won't I? And they're like, yes, yes, you'll be fine. But... um <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'll see what it's like when I'm there. And at the end of the day, I'm going whatever. And even if it's a shit view of the screen, I'm still in that room. And I'm still having that experience. And I'm still breathing the same air as Adam Driver. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I think you'll still have a you'll have a good view. Like, it just, it won't be the same as, like, having a prime seat in a cinema. But you'll have that later on. So Yeah, exactly. There are going to be many, many further viewings of the film. So... Yeah, it's really incredible and I can be more excited. So yeah, the the main anxiety of today has been trying to find something vaguely presentable to wear. I've had lots of stressful experiences and changing booths where I realised I hate dresses (laughs) with just this burning passion. (laughs) And I I am going to wear a dress because I have a dress that I quite like and that doesn't torture me to actually wear it because no zips. I hate dresses with zips. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is way too much information. (laughs) Yeah, like, I found something that I'm comfortable in and I feel happy with, so I'm going to be wearing that and it's going to be great. And no, I'm not going to be wearing anything overtly Star Wars-y because I'm already going to be completely Star Wars'd out of my mind. And yeah, I just want to be reasonably smart and maintain a calm demeanour as much as possible so I don't, like, faint or something because that'd be awful. (laughs) spent enough money to be be there yeah (laughs) thank you (laughs) oh god yeah um now the only anxiety is waiting for the ticket to arrive because it still hasn't come but Mm. obviously they only opened the book in on wednesday and i think the ticket was only posted on thursday so i think it has to come on monday but if it doesn't i'm on that phone line and i'll be like what's happening yeah i'm sure if it didn't they would still figure it out like when you get to the venue and that yeah they must have a guest list or something so yeah oh my god yeah it's gonna be really exciting um yeah so what are your plans for seeing the movie for the first time Kirsty? 
I am going up to Vancouver to see it with some friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already got tickets to see it two times while we're there. We're oh, also going to see The Shape of Water together, which is very exciting too. Oh, perfect. Um, and we're hoping to have those people on the podcast for our reaction recording. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how it goes because it's a trip, so we're kind of playing it by ear, and obviously we have to deal with the time difference with you. So yes. hopefully that works out. Um, because it's cool to get a lot of people's impressions like straight after the movie. Yeah. Um, and we'll have all experienced it together. So really excited. Yeah. No, it's so unbelievably exciting. So you've seen it on the evening of the 14th, is that right, where, where you are? Yeah, we're actually seeing it back-to-back twice. Oh, my gosh. Wow, <laughs> that's intense. We had, we had tickets for it at 11 p.m. I think that's a 3D showing. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up getting tickets later on for the 7 p.m. showing, which is mm. 2D. So we're going to have oh, like an hour better. between. We're going to run out and have a drink and then go back in. Um, it's the same cinema. But oh, the, wow. I think the first showing, we don't have reserved seats. So we're probably going to have to queue up pretty early. Yeah. No, I but hate we'll have... that when cinemas don't have reserved seating. I'm like, God, you're so, so in the dark ages, man. <laughs> and it might make it more of like an event. Uh, not that it needs to be more of one, but that means that you'll be queuing up outside with other fans and be patient. So. Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. I guess it'll be kind of like a nice celebration experience. Yeah, except it'll be much colder because it's Vancouver in December. <laughs> right. With this show, it's really hard to know what to do with it because obviously there has been tons and tons of news. And we didn't have a show last weekend due to a series of unfortunate events that are too boring to go into. <laughs> so yeah, there's lots of stuff we haven't covered. But at the same time, We've reached such saturation when it comes to Star Wars that I'm not sure what else we can really add in terms of covering the news. So we'll definitely talk about some things, but we won't do it in the normal format. So we won't be as orderly as we might be otherwise, if that makes sense. Um, so, yes, I was. Thinking, yeah, there's, yeah, there's just so much stuff like i'm i'm keeping up with a lot of stuff in terms of like reading it and watching the interviews Mm -hmm. but in terms of actually discussing it there's no way we can like we used to be able to where we'd pick out like this is what's come out this week because there's just endless amounts of content and interviews and it's funny because a lot of the time they can't say too much for obvious reasons um but yeah you're still kind of getting a taste for the themes exactly yeah, there's one particular interviewer doing the press junket rounds. I've seen her interview several different members of the cast now. And I think she must be doing it as kind of like a performance art thing because every oh, single so. time she interviews them, she asks them questions she knows they can't possibly answer. So how many scenes do you have with Ray? Um, do you see your mother, Leia, again? <laughs> I've been really enjoying those because it's just funny to see their reactions. <laughs> Like, are you really expecting me to answer this question? <laughs> Did you see the one where she was interviewing Donald, Gwen, and Andy? No, I haven't seen that one yet. That I've one's seen really funny. One's for Adam and Daisy. Yeah, she asks them, "Does Ray go to the dark side, and does <gasps> Kylo go back to the light side?" And um, <laughs> Gwen comes out and says, "Ray opens a hair salon back on Jakku." <laughs> <laughs> and they go off on this like surreal tangent about how Ray has to give Chewbacca a perm. <laughs> and like I just I love that room, the room for that whole press day where they just they're just over it, you know. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. like, nah, it, it is 
there is an element of farce because they can't say things and they're promoting a movie but they can't really and they don't even really need to because it's star wars <laughs> yeah exactly poor mark hamill at the um, press conference he looked catatonic really <laughs> he looked exhausted i mean they're just yeah it's that time of year i suppose and Exactly. I'm glad that they must have all had a few days of downtime before the premiere tonight mm. because, yeah, super intense fun. I think Mark was on Colbert last night, but... Okay. Yeah, so I think that that film's in New York, so he would be flying over to LA tonight, but... Right. Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, just a lot of stuff. Of horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um... Right, in terms of stuff to talk about, I thought it's probably still worth talking about that Rolling Stone coverage, because there's a lot of cool stuff there. Okay. Um, This came out over a week ago, but then they also published like an article in addition to it online. So the main story was this cover story where they had Ray, Kylo and Luke on the cover, all looking pretty badass, if I don't say so myself. And yeah, so basically I'll just read out some parts of that and then we can talk about it a bit. From Adam. You have someone that's been told he's special his whole life and he can feel it. And he feels everything probably more intensely than the people around him, you know? There is a little bit of an elitist royalty thing going on, he says, reminding us that the character's estranged mother is the princess. I think he's aware of maybe the privilege. He does acknowledge playing Kylo younger than his own age of 34. I don't want to say how much younger, because people will read into it. He flushes, and later says he regrets mentioning it at all. If it's a plot spoiler, it's unclear exactly how, unless it's related to his unexplained connection to Ray. The two apparently spend serious time together in this film. The relationship between Kylo and Ray is awesome, says Ridley, whom Driver calls a, a great scene partner, apparently one of his highest compliments. Mm. The trilogy will end with Abram's la- Last Jedi sequel. And after that, it sounds like the main thrust of the franchise will move into Johnson's mysterious new movies, which look to be unconnected to the previous saga. As far as Abrams is concerned, that that will be the end of the Skywalker story. I do see it that way, JJ says, but the future is in flux. As far as Ridley is concerned, the future of Rey is pretty much set. She doesn't want to play the character after the next movie. No, she says flatly. For me, I didn't really know what I was signing on to. I hadn't read the script. But from what I could tell, it was really nice people involved, so I was just like, awesome. Now I think I'm even luckier than I knew then, to be part of something that feels so like coming home now. But um, doesn't that sound like a yes? No, she says again, smiling a little. No, no, no. I am really, really excited to do the third thing and round it out, because ultimately, what I was signing on to was free films. So in my head, it's free films. I think it will feel like the right time to round it out. Uh, I need to add here that Daisy has since walked this last bit back a bit. She said she didn't mean that she was done with Star Wars after episode 9. Um, but I can't help but think that's just her looking at this and panicking a bit and realising how negatively she comes across. Because I do think it's pretty definitive what she says, to be honest. I saw her trying to explain it in interviews and... Um... She was like, oh, I said that at the end of a really long day filming. It was raining in Montreal. And it sounded like she'd just kind of been a bit fed up. Yeah. Which, you know, she's human. So, um, yeah, I think she was kind of just stating facts as well, even if it was a bit short. She was just saying, I'm signed on for these three movies and I don't know what's going to happen after that. Yeah. Like, 
I can't say more because I, I'm not the one in charge of those decisions. Yeah. Like, she's clearly not saying, like, oh, I hate Star Wars. I never want to do it again. <laughs> I've had an awful time. <laughs> she's not saying that at all. But I think it's completely natural for her to want it to be done after episode nine because that's a big chunk of her life. Mm-hmm. Like by the time episode nine is done, that is like, what, probably five years since she started filming The Force Awakens. You know, and that's a hell of a long time. Actually, it'd be closer to six years by the time the movie's actually released. Mm. So, yeah, that's a huge block of your life. And she's young. She's got all these other exciting opportunities. And so, of course, she wants to do things other than Star Wars movies. And I don't think that should surprise anyone. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, she just sounds like she's kind of stating facts and we'll see what happens. I mean, even JJ is like, yeah, I see that as the end. But the future's in flux. Because, again, I think all this stuff, especially like considering we Disney owned them now they invested in this they're not it's not going to be the end forever yes they're going to come back to it eventually but they can't say that right now because someone might like take that as a spoiler for the story exactly and they want to be able to put a bow on the sequel trilogy because the sequel trilogy has to be self-contained to an extent right exactly and so yeah it does have to be the end of ray's story for now that's not saying that there isn't another part to her story later on, whether or not she's the protagonist of that next part of the story. But yeah, like this should be her core story, just like the original trilogy was Luke's core story. Because I think then it makes it more special as well. It's kind of watered down if the Ray saga just goes on for like 15 films. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. eh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think she said that as well when she was explaining it. She was like, Star Wars trilogies are trilogies. Like the story is broken down into these three parts, beginning, middle, and end. So episode nine is the end to this story. It doesn't mean you won't ever get Ray again. Yeah. Um, and we've already had Kathleen Kennedy say that they're already thinking about stories beyond that with Finn and Poe and Ray and BB-8 and everything. So yeah, it's nothing to worry about. I, I think maybe people were initially a bit worried about this when they first saw the interview, but maybe that's why. Daisy realized that she had to clarify because a lot of people were then asking about her. It like, can you follow up on that? Exactly. Um, the stuff that Adam's saying is really interesting as well. I did. I left out the notes, but he said before this, like, what is emo? <laughs> <Which> is, <laughs> yeah, obviously, a lot of people have been calling Kylo Ren emo, and you can see why, right? But yes. It's kind of amusing because what he's describing here to me kind of does sound emo, but he maybe doesn't realize it. Um, <laughs> so like, he's been told he's special his whole life and he feels everything more intensely than the people around him. <laughs> I think the unspoken thing there is that Ray is also going to feel things more intensely. Um, yes. And they're going to be paralleled in that way. Um, yeah. And I think he said that actually in the Entertainment Weekly interview that like, there's something he recognizes in her and like feel, I can't remember the exact quote, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That there's like a, oh, he hasn't had peers his own age um, experiencing the same things. And yeah. now he does and he doesn't really know how to feel about it. Yeah. Um, and I love again that they're playing up the um, the difference in their socioeconomic status. Like yeah. the Victorian drama lover in me eats that stuff up. Yeah. So you've got him like talking about how he has this royalty element to his characterization, which you can see in The Force Awakens, and you contrast that with Rey as the scavenger. Yeah. So. 
Like, while it's been proven false, there was a fake um, track list going around for the soundtrack, and one of the tracks on that was called The Prince and the Scavenger. And while that is provably false, that concept is clearly very, very much going on. Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's clearly this whole idea that Kylo does think of himself as this princely figure, to an extent, and he's clearly very aware of, like, his noble heritage and his grand destiny, Whereas Ray is this like low-born like peasant girl, and yeah, like that is so so cliched, but also classic and great. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. love it. Oh yeah, so alongside this main Rolling Stone article, there was also a web article, and basically this included excerpts that wouldn't quite fit into the main piece, but they're still really interesting. So I'm going to read out some of the more interesting parts, and the first one. J.J. Abrams couldn't resist returning for episode 9, out in 2019. I had no intention to return, says Abrams, who directed 2015's The Force Awakens, but when the opportunity presented itself to finish a story that we had begun with these new characters, to tell the last chapter of their story, it felt like there was a chance to do it in a way where we could go beyond, and do better than we did in Seven. I learnt so much in that movie, and I saw that this was a chance to sort of realise something we hadn't quite achieved. And part of that was it was simply the beginning of these new characters and their story. The opportunity to sort of take what we had learned, to take the feeling of who these characters are and what they are, and give them a final chapter that felt in the spirit of what we'd begun. It was too delicious for an opportunity to pass up. And connected to that, um, we also have this story about Daisy. Daisy really cried when she heard Abrams was going back. (laughs) Everyone was saying it was going to be Ryan and everything. So I was genuinely quite surprised, she says, and was like, oh my god. And I started crying immediately with three people in the office, and they were like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> so I emailed JJ saying, oh my god, I'm crying. And he goes, oh my god, me too. <laughs> and then we had a conversation a few days later, and we stay in touch. But we stayed in touch the whole time anyway. And yeah, this to me was easily the most interesting part of that web article. Did you like seeing this as well, Kirsty? I did, because I I think JJ must be very aware of the good and bad things that have been said about The Force Awakens. Yeah. And I feel like maybe he is very conscious of the fact that people bring up the mystery box element a lot and not, not in often a favourable light. Yes. So maybe he's like, okay, now I need to do all that stuff that I set up justice. Yeah, And we already know that he was super impressed with Ryan's script and said that he wished he was filming that part. But but then he gets to wrap it all up now. Like, that's such a cool opportunity that he didn't think he was going to get. Yeah. Um, And obviously Daisy's excited about it too, so that's great. Yeah. I'm glad that JJ does seem so genuinely excited about it because it doesn't seem at all like it's an obligation for him. It does seem like, oh my god, this is the chance, this is the opportunity I really wanted because I love these characters that I created and I really want a chance to finish telling their stories and to decide where they go. Because he Mm -hmm. obviously had ideas about where they would end up when he was doing The Force Awakens and I'm sure that Ryan changed things and went in different directions with The Last Jedi but to an extent, JJ will now be able to go back to the, the story and pick it up and kind of finish it as he feels is right. And because I loved The Force Awakens, and especially I loved the new characters in The Force Awakens and what they brought to the table, I couldn't be more excited because 
I think JJ gets a lot of crap for The Force Awakens, but I love that film. Obviously, we both love that film. So, yeah, I, I couldn't be more thrilled, and I really love seeing stuff like this. And the only thing I'd say about Daisy's thing is, bless Daisy, and it kind of <laughs> makes me think that she must have been really, really stressed and like put out kind of to an extent while doing The Last Jedi. Because it seems like she was really, really happy about being able to go back to someone familiar and someone who she had such a good experience with on The Force Awakens. I do think mm. she had a great experience on The Last Jedi as well. But the theme coming through with Daisy in interviews for The Last Jedi is that she does seem to be so much more self-conscious. And she says that she went into The Last Jedi suddenly feeling all this pressure and all the weight of the expectation because people had met Rey and people had formed all these opinions about her and all that kind of stuff. And it sounds like that was very stressful for her. And I think she's probably glad to have JJ back because he's almost like symbolic of this time when all of that was moot, none of that was relevant. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just bless her. Yeah, I think her and John were talking about that in the New York Times interview that came out yesterday, that it was quite upsetting for them. they become so close when they were working on The Force Awakens together and obviously spent a lot of time on screen as Rey and Finn. Yeah. And then that's just not what happened with The Last Jedi. So they were kind of each other's comfort blanket. And of course, that was part of the point Ryan was making. He was like, okay, now we need to actually challenge these characters. They can't just be with who they already have positive relationships with. Um, So, yeah, maybe you get an element of the characters taking on this feeling from the actors in terms of not being quite so certain about where they are. And I feel like that might come through in the movie. Um, But... Yeah, it's not going to be a case of, oh, episode nine is the same director, so he's going to be going back to these old, already trodden paths. Obviously, he's going to keep driving forward of what Ryan's presented. Right. Then, to move on from the Rolling Stone stuff, as Kirsty mentioned, we also had a really interesting article from the, from the New York Times, where people were allowed to speak a bit more lamefully about things than is normally the case at press junkets. And yeah, there were some really interesting comments. So I'll just try and find some of those for us to discuss. Um, Yeah, just to begin, I'll read out the quotes that Kirsty mentions. I think people might be interested in hearing those. Was it bittersweet to have Finn and Rey, our heroes from The Force Awakens, split up? John Boyega. It was horrible when I read the script for the first time, and I wasn't with her. We auditioned together. We went through this whole experience together. To be split apart was scary for me, but then I understood that as something that we could draw from, something that Finn really feels and Ray really feels. And then I was like, oh, Ryan does know what he's doing. Laughter. Ridley. I felt the same. When I read the script, I didn't cry right away. I was like, wobble, wobble, wobble. Shaky voice. I'm probably going to cry and I need to see Ryan. Then I went into Ryan's office and I was crying my eyes out. I'm not great with new people. I think Mark can attest to that. Silence, then laughter. Oh, <laughs> Bless her. <laughs> Sorry, there's not that much to say about this because we've already touched upon it. But yeah, I do think it was kind of genius. It may be a little bit cruel of Ryan to recognise that by taking the actors out of their comfort zones that would probably help them to deliver the kind of performances he wanted. Mm, it's, it's interesting to me because... We've talked about it before, like the way The Force Awakens ends, it seems pretty clear that they're going to be split up for the next movie, or at least for a large part of it. Yeah. They're going off on these different plot lines. 
Mm. Um, so it's interesting that the actors didn't quite see that the same way. I think maybe they anticipated that, yeah, they're going to be split up at first, but maybe they thought Ray was going to be successful and get Luke to come with her and that they'd whiz right, right back to the Resistance and then everyone would be together again. Like, obviously that didn't happen and in my opinion it certainly wasn't that way for very good reasons because I think that would be a bit boring but yeah that is but it is possible they expected that mm. um yeah then we also have some interesting comments where it's basically like one big Adam Driver loving <laughs> <laughs> so is there a character other than your own that you wish you'd gotten to play in this film Oscar Isaac what Adam does in this movie is insane. It's incredible. Mr. Driver begins looking around awkwardly, as if searching for a way to escape the room. <laughs> it's so wild and unpredictable and very magnetic. It made me very jealous. John Boyega. I have to second that. I was blown away by the conflict and the change in the character arc. And the fights. Oscar Isaac. Oh, the fights. The beautiful fights. John Boyega, it reminds me, as a guy, of the transition from a boy to a man, learning how to maintain a certain type of energy that you have, and choosing the way you let it free. That's what he struggles with. I really, really like these quotes. They're so eloquent about it. Mm, me too. Because like, I can see why other actors would be envious of that role, because it offers you so much, mm. um, like just from what we saw in The Force Awakens. Um, mm. But... John's part, especially about talking about the transition from a boy to a man and how relatable he finds that. Um, yeah. It's obviously not the first time we've heard this kind of thing because Ryan's been talking a lot about adolescence and he's talked in the past about reading material he had to prep for writing The Last Jedi um, yeah. that includes a lot of stuff about masculinity and growing up and accepting sides of yourself that you're kind of trying to deny initially. Um, mm. So... Yes, it all sounds great. Yeah, definitely. Right, and then the last thing we'll discuss from this interview is a part with Andy Serkis. Andy, you play Supreme Leader Snoke, one of your many motion capture characters, so there's a whole other layer to your performance. Andy Serkis, there's a gold lame layer. The Supreme Leader is Hugh Hefner. That's something that I, that I particularly grabbed onto, the luxuriousness of it all. The thing about Snoke is, leaders are fearful people, because when you're in a position of maximum power, you can only lose power, and that fear drives nearly all decisions. That fear that makes you aggressive, it makes you want to destroy others, it makes you unable to see or care about others. But when you're creating a villain character, it's about humanising. There's something important in the task of creating Snoke to find his vulnerability, because that's what makes him even more dangerous and despicable. And yeah, this has been coming through a lot. Andy's very proud of the Hugh Hefner comparison, which I think people started pointing out the moment that we realised that Snoke was going to be wearing a gold robe mm-hmm. in this movie because it ain't subtle. And mm-hmm. yeah, people have picked up on it. Um, and yeah, while it's funny to an extent and all of the cast has been t- treating it as a big joke, it does obviously have these very sinister connotations particularly when you think about the other comments that have been made about how Snoke is very predatory and in particular how he preys on the young and the vulnerable and how Kylo and Hux they're both desperate for his approval and they see him as this 
like golden father figure and yeah it just is all sorts of layers of creepiness basically yeah i've got this other quote here from donal when asked what hux thinks of snoke he says i think he looks up to him he's very scared of him he wants to be the favored son sort of thing he wants to be the one that he likes the most and so he's desperately trying to impress him but he's worried he won't and he's terrified of him oh gosh like this idea of kylo and hux being like these sibling rivals desperate for dad's approval but also Mm. absolutely terrified of him that really creeps me out (laughs) yeah there is Uh. something very very sinister about it and while it's creepy i'm glad they're bringing it to the forefront now because i think that was always the subtext with um those characters and their relationship with snoke but it It was but yeah i i was unsure of whether they would actually acknowledge it because it is pretty heavy if you acknowledge it, then you have to accept some form of responsibility and hopefully it's not played for laughs too much. Yes. Um, I know that Hux isn't a particularly sympathetic character, at least he wasn't in The Force Awakens, but he's the foil to Kylo, who is. Mm. So it's it's heavy coding. Um, it could be pretty dark if they... It depends on how they handle it. So Yeah. No, we're always with these things. It's all about the execution. Um. Just to move on, we have actually another quote from Donal, which is from Empire magazine. And I'll just read this out so I think it segues on nicely from what we've just been saying. Because of what happened in the first film, Hux has been pushed to a place where his position is in real jeopardy and people who make really bad decision and people make really bad decisions when they get desperate, Gleason tells Empire. Hux and Kylo Ren are vying for power and for Snoke's attention. They're both contenders for the throne, and Hux is hoping Ren explodes so that he can take up the mantle. He knows it will be a battle otherwise, one he may very well lose. I think this was the first time we'd really heard anything about Hux in The Last Jedi. We've heard more since, because Donald's been doing lots of press junket interviews, etc, etc. But yeah, I really like this, and it's very interesting to me. Um, it like Obviously there was that rivalry and competition there in The Force Awakens, but it sounds like that's going to be made more overt and that we're mm-hmm. going to get a bigger sense of what the stakes are for these characters. Yeah, so I did get a sense that they were vying for the throne in The Force Awakens. I think that makes sense because they're really going to have to show these splinterings in the in the First Order. And you kind of got that in the Phasma novel, but obviously that's a whole different ball game. Um, most people mm. are going to watch the movies and not read the books. But it was kind of setting the stage for this, that a lot of people are kind of out for their own interests. Um, And we've we've already been told, basically, that Kylo doesn't necessarily care about the goals of the First Order itself. He's more focused on the spiritual aspects of the Force and tracking down Luke and stuff like that. Whereas Hux is all about order and maintaining the status quo of the galaxy. Um, So I feel like it's going to come to a head in some way or another, which is intense. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um, and yeah, like I'm really excited to see what Donald does with this character. So I do think he's so talented. And I don't expect him to have a substantially larger role. But I do think it's very possible that Ryan has done more interesting things with him than The Force Awakens managed. Well, didn't Ryan say that Hux was one of the characters he had the most fun writing? He did say that, yeah. So I feel like there has to be something in there, like maybe he's even played it for more of a comic value because he is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um, they, could, they could play him for laughs with the whole resistance versus first order side of the conflict a little bit. 
Yeah, no, there's a lot of potential there. Um, oh yeah, there's an interesting quote about where John is talking about how Finn sees Rose. Finn sees a lot of himself in Rose, as she's still trying to figure out her place. She's not a soldier, she's not a pilot. She's not sure of what she can bring to the fight, and that's something he identifies with. Rose is an absolute fan of Finn. It takes an interesting turn, though, as they get closer. And, yeah, I like this, and for me it reminds me of the fact that there are probably going to be really interesting parallels between the dynamic between Ray and Kylo and the dynamic between Finn and Rose. Mm-hmm. Because from stuff like this, it really does seem that with both pairings, there's going to be this sense of these two young people finding like real commonality in this other person. And in particular, in this other person who maybe initially they clashed with or they didn't particularly like much. But then as they become more familiar with each other and they come to understand each other, they realise how much they have in common and how there's all these similarities that bind them together. And yeah, I just find that really interesting that there's going to be these two strands of the story, but there's going to be similar kinds of relationship dynamics going on. Do you think yeah, that sounds fair? I do, based on what they're saying and kind of what you can just see from the archetypes of the characters, because they're really emphasizing that Rose is kind of this every woman um, that she kind of works in the background and she's not sure how she can make a difference. And that's kind of where Finn has been. Um it's but it's not how Rose sees him initially so it's kind of be kind of this idea of like meeting your heroes as they've said with the Ray and Luke side of it um but then heroes not always being what you expect so yeah I do think there's going to be this element of Finn and Rose kind of being like the everyman thing and like forcing each other's element and the way that they're talking about Ray and Kylo as um being lonely and isolated in the sense that they both have these crazy levels of power and don't have too many people to turn to in terms of like knowing how they feel i feel like that's really going to factor into the story like they're going to have these two parallel things going on yeah that's really true um and yeah i think it's this whole idea of finn and rose is the like everyday people the people any of us could be and then rain kylo is these like really like super powered like unique like forcey people and while they're still going to be relatable in terms of like their emotions and feeling lonely and cut off from people, they are like on this different like tier because of their special powers that have like reinforced their loneliness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just all so interesting. And I'm so fascinated to see how it plays out. Yeah, I think Ryan said that all of the new characters are designed to complement the existing characters' arcs to like really drive them. So that's not to say, obviously, if Rose is a well-fleshed-out character, and I think she will be, she has more going on. She'll have her own backstory and motivations and everything. Yeah. But to to write her to be part of Finn's story, Ryan had to obviously integrate her with, how is this going to challenge Finn? And yeah. I think we're kind of seeing that they've done the same with Amelyn Holdo for Poe. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that because the unspoken thing there... Well, maybe it's spoken at this point. Like, I feel like they're being more overt with it. Is that for Ray, those characters are going to be Luke and Kylo, and they were already in the story. Exactly. We're just going to see them utilized in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Then I think the next thing we'll talk about is that there's been lots and lots and lots of new footage. There's way too much to talk about separately because there's just been a ton new- of new TV spots. There's been loads of behind the scenes things. There's been a freaking behind the scenes thing about shoes 
but I, I just can't. <laughs> like... Were there this many um, TV spots for The Force Awakens? Because I'm shocked by how many there have been. I do think there are about 30. Like, But I oh do feel gosh. like there have been more for The Last Jedi, to be honest. It just goes on and on. It's ridiculous. I think there are about 24 at this point. Oh, but yeah. we might get more today. I don't even know. I think they're going to hit 30, to be honest. Because oh, around wow. this time, they tend to do tomorrow in theaters near you oh yeah jedi you know um that kind of nonsense um but yes (laughs) so with this new footage um the main thing that sticks in my mind is that we had a behind the scenes training feature out and it was really really cool and i always love training footage and superficial alert the adam driver man Adam Driver in this footage. Oh my god, I freaking screamed. Like, internally, I l- so I was in public, but I screamed. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff for The Force Awakens. So it's really cool to get. I didn't realize we'd get it before the movie. I thought we'd get it afterwards as like special features. And I'm sure we will too. I but... should be much more after the movie. <laughs> it's so exciting because then you can start to like visualize how the fights might look and mm. who they might be fighting with and against. And <laughs> Yeah. How Kylo's hair swirls around his face and oh, it's slow motion. Yeah, (laughs) glorious slow mo. Um, yeah, and I loved seeing Kelly get into her fighting training as well. She was such a badass. Yeah, we hadn't seen that before, right? Like we, I assumed at some point she would fight someone because it's Star Wars, and we know that they're going undercover, or we'll probably get found out. But that was really cool to see. And she was talking yeah. about how difficult it was to learn all of these different fighting styles. Yeah. Um, which it, it must be. Like, they all look intense and exhausted. But Yeah. No, I felt so sorry for Daisy when she whacked herself in the face. <laughs> I was like, ouch! But also, that guy was saying that he planned to teach her that routine in three days and she learned it in an hour and a half. How impressive is that? That is incredible. Like, and it shows that A, she must have like a natural affinity for that kind of thing, which is very impressive because I have all the grace and fighting prowess of a sloth. Um, <laughs> so anyone who can do that stuff is very remarkable to me and bravo. Um, but yeah, like they're all just clearly on top form and obviously they deliberately obscure what they're doing, but it does seem like Kylo and Ray will be fighting several different people. Which is an impression we've also got from other sources and previous footage and stuff. And yeah, that's exciting for reasons. Mm-hmm. Especially in line with what certain things have been hinted at during the recent TV spots. Precisely. And on that note, we should probably talk a little about what's perhaps the most striking TV spot of the recent deluge which is the one that ends with Rey seeming to summon Kylo's lightsaber to her and igniting it so she can fight the freaking Praetorian Guard. <laughs> and it's so exciting. Oh my god, by the way, Kirsty, slight tangent, but I was in Picture House Central in London and they had a full-scale Praetorian Guard model Ooh. in the foyer. It's so cool. I'll need to put the photos up because it's really detailed and really badass looking. But yeah, Very it's cool. such an awesome figure. It's still weird to me that we don't have the Knights of Ren hinted at anywhere. Yeah, like, if they end up in the movie, it's like what? <laughs> I think they'll be one of the twists at this point. It's so freaking unexpected. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. 
But yeah, sorry, I kind of detracted attention from the main thing here. That footage is so incredible. <laughs> like of Ray getting that lightsaber. It's like, oh my god. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you you surprised that they shared it. Like one this late in the game, because why show new stuff when it's so close? We're gonna we're about to see the movie anyway. But um, it also seems like something that would be an element of some kind of climax because we've already seen Ray being tortured by Snoke in what looks to be his throne room, and then there she is, maybe after that, before that, who knows? Grabbing the saber. Um, and I was just so excited to see this because it's the kind of thing yeah. that's been a pretty common trope in a lot of fan fiction. But to see <laughs> to see head cannons become canon is yeah. just the best feeling. Like I know a lot, a lot of God. other people were really excited too because it's like I did not expect them to go there. Yeah, no, it's really really shocking in the best way. It's like, and it oh has God, to. I'm so excited. It has to deliver some kind of interesting parallel and say something new from how she grabbed the saber in The Force Awakens. Mm. So it can't play out in the same way in terms of him trying to get the saber and then her taking it. Yeah. It would be narratively redundant. So it's either him giving it to her or he's somehow incapacitated and she needs to use it to help or like there's something going on there. Yeah. And it's something very, very interesting indeed. I've seen some people try to suggest that it's Rey using Kylo's own lightsaber against him, but I really don't think that's what's happening. But you can see the guards right there. <laughs> well, apparently against him and the guards, <laughs> which makes no sense. It, it To me, that is a moment where the lightsaber is being passed to her by an ally, someone who wants to help, and then she's taken up and fighting for both of them. Mm. But I, I readily admit that that is heavily informed by preference and headcanon. Um, but yeah, I really don't think she's fighting Kylo with his own saber here. Just I didn't see it. But yeah, who knows? We're, I'm going to see the movie soon. I mean, would would that mean that he's he's fighting her carrying Anakin's saber? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> Maybe the idea is that she's going to pummel a defenseless Kylo, like disarmed with his own weapon. Can we just have the movie now? (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Um, Oh my gosh. Um, Footage. (laughs) To move on from this. Um, There was also a new TV spot where um, it was actually a jokey moment with Luke, which is something I did not think I was going to see. Oh, I love this one. Yeah, it's the one where Luke says, mind your language to R2. I have no idea what my Mark Hamill impression is. I just love that they they go back to that dynamic. Yes. Because they've been friends for so long. Um, And, yeah, when you see at the end of The Force Awakens that R2's going with her and it's not BB-8, you know that that is going to be emotional, that reunion. Um, And they are going to have these lighter moments as well because R2 was used so well in the original trilogy and the prequels for comedy. Mm. So I missed him in The Force Awakens. Yeah. Well, he's now back, and we're never going to let him go ever again. <laughs> so yeah, it was really good. Um, gosh, like I really, my I think my brain has melted from all the Star Wars, all the Star Wars. But is there any kind of like last words we want to say? Because this will be our last podcast before we see the movie, which is terrifying. Oh God! But yeah, famous last words. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be kind of funny if we come out of the movie and it's like the exact opposite of what we've been fearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Like, the whole promo campaign was a cruel joke. So, okay, so I know people listen to us because, well, I don't know why you're all listening to us, but, like, people probably know us as, you know, we we love Kylo. We think that in general terms he's going to have some kind of redemption arc, but we don't know where that's going to be by the end of The Last Jedi. Uh, can play out in so many different ways, and I hope that Ryan surprises us and pulls something off that's really special. Um, but yeah, we have like these general perceptions of the story from The Force Awakens that we think he's supposed to be sympathetic. We think that him and Ray have this really intriguing connection that's going to drive a lot of their development. Um, and I think that that is only going to get more intense in The Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just can't wait to see how all that plays out. And we we've had fun like predicting various things, but we don't expect to be right about every single thing because that's oh, not yeah. really the point. We just kind of do it for fun. Um, but I, I'm confident I'm going to really enjoy this movie. Um, yeah. Everything that Ryan says is music to my ears, honestly. Like just the other day I was reading an interview with him where he was talking about how Star Wars isn't like sci-fi. It's not supposed to be futuristic. It's more like a period drama mm. set in a galaxy far, far away because it is like we've talked so often about how, Star Wars is more fairy tale and fantasy than sci-fi. And while that's nothing new, George Lucas spoke about that a lot. Just to hear it from Ryan, it's reassuring because you know that he's going to push things into new areas. He has to. But if he can respect kind of what people love about Star Wars in terms of what it says about humanity um, and the fact that it does have those fairy tale elements and that is why it has just remained in people's hearts for so long. I'm mm. just really excited to see what his contribution is. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's so well put. I'm not sure how I can follow that adequately. Um, yeah, I am just so incredibly excited for this movie. Like, I won't pretend that I'm not also a bit nervous because over two years... No, not over two years. Just under two years of my life has been spent <laughs> heavily invested in the sequel trilogy. Thinking about it, writing about it, talking to other fans, doing this podcast. And whatever happens with The Last Jedi, say I hated The Last Jedi and everything I'd hoped for and everything I thought was happening based on The Force Awakens. If all of that was wrong and all my hopes were dashed, I wouldn't regret the time I'd put in because I've had so, so much fun. And I've made so many friends and it's been so incredibly rewarding. But I really do think that's like a moot point because based on everything I'm seeing, I really do feel so optimistic and excited about this movie. And I feel that Ryan has such a great handle on what Star Wars is and perhaps more importantly what Star Wars should be because Star Wars is something that people become very territorial about. Myself included, Mm -hmm. I'm not exempt from this, but fans really do claim ownership of Star Wars. And I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of what Star Wars is through that process of claiming ownership. Mm-hmm. Like I see people like saying, oh, what have we got a hard R-rated Star Wars movie? And to me, that's not Star Wars anymore. You know, the point is that it's meant to be this like fairy tale. It's not meant to be about like the violence or the swearing or the sex. Like you can have those things like probably as subtext or as like fleeting glimpses or implications but the point isn't that they are the reason why we have these stories. I think that's part of the reason why Rogue One turned me off a bit. Because that like climactic scene of Rogue One where like Darth Vader thrashes everyone. That to me, that's what many people 
as far as I see it, think that style should be, but I really don't think style should be that. I don't think style should be about these like, yeah, I'll send Darth Vader, kick their asses, you slaughter those rebellion scum. Like that to me, no, that's just wrong. I think this is the kind of thing that's going to be really interesting with how they jump around with the timeline, because Mm. I agree with you, like as visually impressive and like it gets your heart racing, that scene makes me so sad. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's Anakin. And I can't differentiate between Anakin and Vader I can't separate them because of the same person I feel like that was part of the point that George Lucas was trying to make Mm -hmm. so yeah I I know that there are different ways of them telling the stories with like the comics and that I know Vader can be very badass and everything in those but that's just not how I see him yeah I think for me moments like that they're very shallow and I don't think there's anything wrong with things being shallow and I think it's fine that people enjoy those things because I know loads of people love that scene and I think there's nothing wrong with that. Enjoyment is good. But to me, there should always be something else operating with Star Wars. It shouldn't just be about these like instant gratification moments. It should be about the subtextual elements and the like themes and how things can resonate in relation to your own life and your own experiences. Those are the kinds of things that make Star Wars special to me. And based on everything I'm hearing, especially all this focus on character, 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 I really do think The Last Jedi is going to deliver on that front. So, yeah, I could be more excited. Mm-hmm. I can't believe our next podcast will have seen it. <laughs> oh my god, that's so weird. It's so <laughs> weird. Terrifying, weird, amazing, all those things. But, yeah, like I feel like we've probably said all we can say at this point. I'm going and I want to try and edit this baby quickly so that it does go up before the premiere, like just so that is not completely redundant, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, like I think this is probably a good time to sign off. So I'm Rachel. You can find me at Stars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Basila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Oh, and we should also say that we want to hear what our listeners think of the movie when they see it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Please do email us and you can email us at scavengershoard at gmail.com and my ask box will be open again but only after I've seen the movie. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, like look out for that. Good luck everyone and may the force be with us all. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>